You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. bounced back from their week two disaster to pick up a 29-17 win over the Steelers to start week three, and now it's time for the Pick'em Show. Hello everybody. As I'm sure you can tell, I am still very nasal, but I finally tested negative this morning. So we're trending in the right direction. I've managed to avoid really needing any medication to sleep, uh, but it's just lingering in my sinuses. So that's why my voice is extra throaty, extra nasal. I won't be joined today once again by my co-host, Miss Ortiz, as she is still recovering. We both tested negative, but she's getting hit by a lot of symptoms, and she needs her rest. So she's going to rest while I do this. Cool beans. So let's start with the Thursday game. It was uh, not a great game at all. Uh, It was close for a while, though. So Thursday night football was the Browns hosting the Steelers. And, you know, I write about this... I write about the Thursday games specifically because I just have a little bit more time to isolate that game because it's the one game by itself before the weekend starts and I have a little bit more time to dig into the juicy deets of what the game looks like to me. And I know a lot of people don't read that, but I pegged this game pretty well. Um, I ended up taking the Browns. I initially took the Steelers to cover the four points, and they were right there. They had it at 17 to 23 at one point, and Boswell had missed a field goal earlier in the game that would have had it at 20 to 23, and Kate York had missed an extra point earlier in the game as well that would have had it 24 to 20. And if that's the case, I doubt we see the hook and ladder magic play that the Steelers are trying to pull off in the final seconds and we probably don't see the fumble recovery for a touchdown to make it 29-17 but anyway I picked the Browns to win I did pick the Steelers to cover and they didn't but they were pretty close to covering or at least getting me a push on that four points and I took the over in this game and the over was the over under was 38 and I felt that that was pretty easy because Cleveland's been giving up a lot of points this year and even though the Steelers don't really score and they they also have not given up a ton of points in their game so far the Cleveland offense has been consistent they're a much better running team than the Steelers uh, at the current moment and the Steelers have been getting gashed on the ground so you're looking at a Steelers team that generally uh, struggles to throw the ball And that was still pretty much the case here. 
Uh, they're in the bottom of the league in basically all of the important passing categories. They're not running the ball well either. So I just figured this is a pretty easy pick for Cleveland. Um, but most of the people in both of my pick'em leagues took the Steelers for some reason. And just after what I saw in week two uh, with them at home in a very winnable game against New England, they only put up 14 points. And to me, that just showed the show me where the ceiling for this team was. They scored 23 in week one in overtime. They probably should have gotten to 20 in this game, but I figure their 18 and a half average kind of capped them right about the correct place. And so even though Cleveland's defense has given up a lot of points, their defense has been much better in terms of giving up yardage than the Steelers. So you got a struggling offense against a defense that has gotten gashed for some big plays here and there, but for the most part uh, keeps the, the yardage down. So the Steelers were not going to be sustaining a lot of drives in this game. And at the end of that segment, or at the end of the article where I previewed this game, I also said that the kickers are going to come into play in this game. And I said, you got to keep an eye on the special teams because even though Chris Boswell is a veteran kicker who has made big kicks for them, has a good leg from distance, has an accurate leg from distance, he missed what could have been, what would have been the game winner at the time against the Bengals and almost allowed the Bengals to win that game. And... Cade York, who also has a big leg and has been good and has not missed the field goal for the Browns, missed an extra point last week that led them into a situation that the Jets ended up winning the game by a point. And what do we have in this game? Boswell misses a field goal early in the game that would have given Pittsburgh the lead. And York misses an extra point that keeps them at, I believe it was uh, 13 at the time. So the Steelers carried a 14-13 lead into the half. And things were going well for the Steelers in that regard. Like, one of the things that I thought I was going to see here was the Steelers offense with their receiving options were probably going to have a little bit better performance against this Browns defense that has struggled against the pass so far this season. So even though Pittsburgh has not been a great passing team. I felt like we would see the best effort out of their passing game that we've seen this season. And I think that's fair to say happened. Uh, Mitch Trubisky was, excuse me, that's a weird whistle. Mitch played probably the best game of his season so far. I mean, he has 20 of 32 for 207 yards, didn't throw a touchdown, didn't throw a pick, only got sacked once, ran in a touchdown from short distance hit uh, Deonta Johnson eight times for 84 yards on 11 targets, but you know, they threw the ball 32 times and this is still, this is still a Pittsburgh team that is struggling to find out what their identity is. And as I watched this game and I really got to see the Steelers like up close and in the spotlight, I realized their issue is that they do not get vertical separation as a team. So this idea that they need to stretch the field more just it can't go anywhere even the one pitch the excuse me the one catch that George Pickens made down the field was a spectacular catch and he was being held and or interfered with on the catch but it wasn't called he made the catch anyway but there was very little separation he had to make a miracle grab in order for this catch 
uh, to be completed. And I think we saw the same thing in, I believe it was week one, where Deontay Johnson came down with a one-hander on the opposite sideline. Some of the completions to Fryermuth in this game were razor thin over the middle, no separation. So it just says that it's not necessarily Mitch Trubisky's fault that they're struggling in the passing game. They just don't have a lot of separation when they run vertical routes. So everything has to be sideways. And that makes sense why they have one of the lowest uh, yards per attempt and yards per completion in the league. I think they're bottom five in both categories. Uh, It makes sense why Mitch Trubisky is near the bottom of the league in passing yards. And it makes sense that they just can't ever threaten the defense downfield. So what are they going to do? They got to just try and chip away, play defense, but... You know, their offensive line is not run blocking particularly well. It was nice to see Najee Harris get some more touches here. I think he was slightly over three yards a carry, but his usage is far too low. And one of the things that I wanted to see in this game in terms of the Steelers kind of starting to right their ship, I said that Harris needs to touch the ball at least 20 times. And he got to 18, and that's just not enough. He's on pace to have 100 fewer touches this year than he did last year. And I understand that they don't want him to have to bear the burden of, you know, 300 carries and 70 plus catches, but he's their workhorse back. I mean, the guy's 250 pounds, like 6'2". There's a reason that the Titans lean on Derrick Henry and have done it for many, many years in a row now, because that's what he's there for. And the sooner Pittsburgh realizes that they're a running team and that throwing the ball I mean, they threw it 30 time, 32 times in this game, but the first two games, they'd thrown it about 35 times each. That's not who Pittsburgh is. That's not who Mitch Trubisky is, to be fair. And the results speak for themselves. I mean, Pickens had three catches, Claypool had three, Harris had three, but you're looking at really, really small yardage gains. Pickens had 39 total yards, but 36 of them came on one play. Fryermuth had two catches for 41, and 26 of that came on one play. And Claypool had three for 35 and 20 of that came on one play. So realistically, like they're just not getting open downfield. And from what I saw from them in the first half, their play calling is not great. And I know Matt Canada has been under fire for that as well. Uh, So it's a combination of a lot of things. It's not just Mitch. It's not just the run blocking. It's not just Canada and the play calling. It's all of those things together, and that's why they're really struggling, but I'll give you an example of what I'm seeing out there. The Steelers are running wide receiver screens very early in the game, maybe first, second possession, and they've never established that the receivers are actually going to go upfield. They've never established that they can be a threat downfield, that they can even threaten at 10 yards at this point in the game. So when you're running a wide receiver screen, the defense is just not respecting it. So... They throw the screen and this is like blown up for like a a loss or a no gain because the way a wide receiver screen has to work is that you have to make the defense back up first. And if you don't get them to back up, if you can't force them to back up, they're going to play you right at the line of scrimmage. And then you're throwing a pass that's behind the line of scrimmage with no separation on the defender who's playing right on the other side of the line of scrimmage. So best case scenario, you're going to maybe break a tackle or catch a block or something, but, you know, that shit's not going to work straight up. The Steelers need to get back to running the football, pounding Harris as much as possible. I mean, 
The other kid, Warren, came in and had some good plays. One of them was negated by a hold, but Jalen Warren looked good. So they're going to have to find a way to lean on the run game. And they can't ask Mitch to be a superstar. I understand, like, you brought him in, you got him the starting job, but it seems like they're almost just setting him up to fail so that Pickett can get into that starting role. But they ran some play action early in the game where they had Mitch move out of the pocket naturally, and he was able to complete some throws to the sideline. He looked good doing that. And like I said earlier, I think it's fair to say that Mitch Trubisky probably had the best game of his season so far. It's just crazy to think that even him going 20 of 32 for 207 yards, not throwing a touchdown, Jacoby Brissett looked like a superstar in comparison going 21 of 31 for 220 and two touchdowns. It's just effectiveness, and the difference between them is that Chubb is able to run the ball. Cleveland as a team is able to run the ball, and without T.J. Watt on the field, the Steelers' defense always struggles. I think they're 0-5 without him, 0-6 without him now, and I think they're like 50-something and 24 with him. So they're better than 2-1, to when he plays and they're winless without him so he makes a big difference to the defense and everything from rushing yards to points given up all that stuff but nonetheless this was a game where it looked very obvious that cleveland who's the best running team in the league right now had a massive advantage on the ground against the weakened defense and that's exactly what they did nick chubb got the ball 23 times put up 113 yards and a touchdown Kareem Hunt put up 12 carries for 47 yards and Jacoby Brissett was able to just like pick up a couple yards here and there a couple quarterback sneaks one important run and they dictated how everything operated offensively off of that run because now the Steelers have to start stacking the box you're going to get some one-on-ones so you saw Amari Cooper have seven catches for 100 and a touchdown and David Njoku had nine for 89 and a touchdown on 10 targets so they were able to force the Steelers to load the box and then get the kind of looks they wanted behind that. And honestly, this may be a blessing in disguise for the Steelers because they kind of saw exactly, excuse me, hitting the microphone with my vitamin water bottle. Um, This show is not brought to you by vitamin water, but I do keep it in stock when I'm sick. But back to my point, the Steelers maybe learned exactly how they have to play football playing against this Browns team here. They need to run the ball. They need to play in some heavy sets and force the defense to load the box. And then they can run some stuff off of play action and try and hit some stuff downfield. Because right now, you know, the defense sees what they're doing a mile away and they're able to shut down the run with a light box. Najee Harris is a powerful, strong running back, but when he's getting hit at the line of scrimmage every time, like he's lucky to fall forward for a yard. So. They, they have to design their run scheme a little differently than what they're doing right now. And they can't really run out of empty sets. They can't run out of spread sets. They can't uh, run delays because there's just no respect there. So I think in the long term, this is probably a good game for the Steelers to learn from. But Cleveland uh, looks solid. I thought this was an easy game to pick. I was really surprised that most people picked the Steelers here. Um, even a friend of mine who is uh, another Bills fan, another Bills content producer for Cover One, he said he's going to take the Steelers at plus 170 in this game, and I told him that's a mistake. 
and uh, I never heard back from him after that. So that's kind of how it goes, but I feel like I pegged this game really, really well from all of the weaknesses of the Steelers and how that was going to unfold, all the strengths of the Browns and how they were going to assert their will, how the kicking game was going to come into play in this game. It was really windy. I didn't know it was going to be that windy, but I felt like special teams was going to be a big deal in this game, and the Steelers actually blocked the punt in this game as well early. So if you listen to this and you don't typically check out what I do on Thursday, I'm pretty good at Thursday games just because I have the extra time to sit there and really dig into the details. So I may go ahead and reshare that again, but at the end of the day, there's another game, another Thursday, always moving on. So we're going to move on to uh, the first game on the docket. And it's weird not having Kristen here because she usually walks me through this stuff. So I feel like I'm going to be rambling a lot more than usual. The first game on the schedule, I don't know if it's the first game, but it's the first game we're going to talk about. It's the Houston Texans at the Chicago Bears. This is a weird game. Bears are favored by two and a half, but... Their offense is even worse than the Steelers, I would say. You got uh, Justin Fields, who's their franchise quarterback, throwing the ball 10 times in a game. I mean, I get that David Montgomery's a good running back and he's having success, but, I mean, you're throwing the ball 10 times in the modern NFL. That's ridiculous. And seeing them favored by two and a half, I I just don't know. You know, they're minus 155 favorites uh, on the money line. Over-under is 39 in this game. You got Dane Cruikshank's out, Matthew Adams is out, Ryan Griffin's out, Jalen Johnson questionable, Roquan Smith questionable. Texans also, Brevin Jordan's out at tight end, Isaac Yodum out at corner, Kurt Heinisch defensive tackle out, you got Farrell Brown and Malik Collins both questionable. This is pretty close to a coin toss game, but yeah, Justin Fields has thrown 28 passes in two games. I get that one of them was a monsoon. But the second game was not a monsoon, and I think he was 7 of 10 in that game. So he's 15 of 28 on the season, 191 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Davis Mills is not blowing down any doors or anything, but 42 of 75 for 417, two touchdowns with no picks is solid. Uh, Damian Pierce, the rookie, has got 26 carries for 102 yards. So a little slow start to the season, which a lot of people expected him to be uh, just... A monster coming out of the preseason and Montgomery you know he's got six more carries and 46 more yards than Pierce so definitely having success on the ground for Chicago and that's gonna really be where this game I think comes down to I don't know if that makes sense that's a weird sentence this game will be determined by how they handle the ground game but what I'm looking at is The Texans give up a lot of yards. You know, they're only giving up 18 points a game, uh, but they give up 450 yards per game, and that's not good. And it's tough to tell with Chicago exactly how good their defense is because a lot of, you know, the statistical numbers that are coming out of the first week have that sloppy-ass rain game against the 49ers in week one. But... In the Green Bay game, they gave up 26 first downs. Uh, They got outgained on on the game, 228 to 414. Same amount of drives, they both had nine. Uh, The yards per play wasn't bad, but they had 48 passing yards, seven of 11 passing. 
terrible. Their rushing had 180 ground yards, so very successful on the ground. Uh, still picked up a lot of penalties, feels through a pick. They had no time of possession. Uh, it's got to be really hard to sustain and convert drives when uh, your quarterback throws 11 passes. Like sooner or later, you're going to have to convert some third downs, and that's going to be really hard to do when your offense uh, doesn't trust your quarterback. They're one of seven on third down, and that's why they lose that game. I mean, that's why they lose that game as bad as they did. Uh, they also gave up a lot of ground yards themselves in that game, so that's really why they lost, is they couldn't stop the run, and then you really can't like bring any threat to Aaron Rodgers at that point. I'm tempted to say the Bears are probably the better team of the two, but in terms of overall quarterback play, you know... I gotta probably side with Davis Mills here. Justin Fields is a more athletic, dynamic quarterback. But you look at the yards passing per game, and you know the Texans are over 200. They're rushing for about 80 a game. That's not terrible, but not good either. And then it's the the opposite for Chicago: 95 and a half yards passing and 139 and a half rushing. So they just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, play defense, and hope not to to break. But Brandon Cooks is going to be the the most dynamic receiver in this game. Davis Mills, a capable quarterback. At two and a half points, I don't know. That's I mean, The Texans have just not really showed much. I think they scored nine last week, so it's not really impressive. They lost 16 to nine. They tied in the first game 20 to 20. And what we've seen from the Colts, uh, the Colts ain't that good. So what what does this all add up to? Is quality of competition between them? At least the Bears have had better quality of competition, but the results for both of these teams was not good last week. At least the Texans kept it within uh, seven. I think it was nine-point favorites. So close, close-ish for the majority of that game against Russell Wilson, against a fairly dynamic Denver offense. A Denver offense that is... Even though they're struggling, even though they got a lot to work on, I would say that Denver defense, Denver offense is a lot more dynamic than this Chicago offense, and they were able to hold it close. I'm leaning Texans on this one. I, I just, from what I've seen from Chicago, you know, I, I don't trust it. So, the, if the Texans can just keep it close, I think they're going to have some better chances to win. If they get run all over by David Montgomery, which there's a really good chance that that happens because they did get run all over by Jonathan Taylor in week one and they gave up uh, 149 ground yards to Denver as well. So it's one of those things where they can't stop the run. So their defense is on the field a lot. And even though Denver only converted three of 12 on third down efficiency, uh, Houston didn't do much better on 2 of 13. They didn't do better at all. 2 of 13 is worse. Uh, and they get penalized a lot. So I could definitely see Chicago winning. I could also see Houston winning. It's going to come down to time of possession and just not making mistakes here. But it looks like it's going to be a nice, clear game outside. Um, 63, not bad. It doesn't look like there's any rain or anything in the forecast, so... Ooh, this is a tough game to pick. That's why it's plus 130, minus 155 in favor of the Bears. It's only two and a half points. That's a tough one. I don't know. 
I'm thinking Houston, but if I just trust the defense and the ground game like I should in most instances, the Bears win. So I'll probably go Bears here. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Bears as well. Moving on. We're already 25 minutes in. I got to try to get this done before an hour. So moving on, we got Raiders at the Titans. Raiders are coming off a collapse of their own in week two, giving up a, what is it, 16-point lead in the fourth quarter to lose. Now they're without Hunter Renfro, who fumbled twice in the last three plays and got hit awkwardly in his head on that last fumble. Denzel Perriman's out as well. Josh Jacobs is questionable. You got Taylor Lewan, who went to injured reserve for the Titans. Kyle Phillips, their rookie receiver, is doubtful. He's the guy muffing punts against the Bills. But Dupree's out. So both of these teams are a little chewed up here. I see the Ra Raiders favored by two on the road. Over under 45. The Raiders aren't scoring that much, though, to be honest. I mean, it's really Adams played well in the first game, not so much in the second game. And their defense completely let them down. I, I haven't seen what I need to see out of the Titans at this point. And I think in my power rankings, I have the Titans last. They may not be the worst team in the NFL, but for the time being, they're they're giving up more yardage, they're putting up less yardage, they're scoring fewer points, and they're giving up more points a game. I know they're at home, I know they need to win, but it's like their whole identity has crumbled over the last few seasons, and Derrick Henry uh, has not been King Henry yet, so they're going to have to feed him the ball, they're going to have to try and win the game that way, but I would put my money on... Derek Carr in this situation. I think the Raiders know that they let one get away last week and they can't let that happen. Whereas the Titans just got bullied and embarrassed by the Bills, so they kind of had a reality check of where they're at this season and it's not good. So, similar to Cleveland knowing that they had to redeem themselves after a very winnable game, the Raiders need this game badly. I mean, both these teams need it bad, but after what happened in week two, I think the Raiders are going to figure out a way to win this game. So at, at minus 132 point spread over under 45, it probably stays under 45 and a half just because I haven't seen the Titans really be able to score. I mean, they're averaging 13 and a half a game. They really I think they lost 21-20 in the first week and then they scored seven in the second week. So they're just out of tricks. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Titans at home. But yeah, we'll move on to the next one because that game's not really super entertaining to me. Chiefs on the road at the Colts. I'm surprised that the Chiefs are only five and a half point favorites here. I don't know what added up to the Chiefs only being favored by less than a touchdown. I mean, they're, they're giving up some points per game, but the Colts aren't scoring. They just got shut out by Jacksonville. And yes, they had you know, Michael Pittman out, and uh, they had Alec Pierce, I believe, out as well. You can't get shut out. I know they have a history of going into Jacksonville and playing like ass, but it's just unacceptable. And going home, still having a lot of questions going on with Matt Ryan here. Uh, the defenses are about the same, but even in terms of yardage, the offenses are about the same, but I got to trust the quarterback situation here. And even if Jonathan Taylor has himself a, a monstrous game, I just don't see the Colts as having the kind of firepower to hang in here. And from what I've seen from the Chiefs, they're not injured enough uh, 
to to warrant you know this game being five and a half so i'll probably i'll take the chiefs to cover in this one the colts just have not looked good to me at all this season they didn't look good in the preseason to be honest either uh and they're going to be playing from behind so that probably hurts fantasy owners of jonathan taylor i like clyde edwards Hilaire being utilized in the passing game and in the run game here it seems like they kind of treat him like Devin Singletary on Buffalo where he comes in and he's the lead guy in the first like quarter and then when they get a lead things change a little bit and he comes out but uh as long as he doesn't fumble he's a, he's a valuable piece of your offense but Mahomes has looked great in terms of passing yardage he's only he's only got like 50 more yards than Matt Ryan on the season but you're looking at 54 of 74 for 595 and seven touchdowns from Mahomes versus Matt Ryan going 48 of 80 for 547 with one touchdown and four picks. So I think that tells you everything you need to know. Not too much of a head scratcher here. I think the Chiefs uh, win by double digits here. Over under of 50 and a half. Um, that's a tough one. I think the line is a little bit high considering the Colts have not shown a, a ton of life on offense so far. So I'll take the under. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Chiefs too. And then we move on to, I mean, my featured game of the week. Looks like there's going to be thunderstorms in this game. Uh, it's in Miami, 86 degrees. I see a lightning bolt, so that means probably thunderstorms. And you got the Bills on the road at the Dolphins, both teams 2-0. Um, the Bills are absolutely chewed up right now, though. They lost Micah Hyde for the season. Uh today found out that he got placed on injured reserve with a neck injury and what's crazy is that it didn't look like his neck injury was that bad especially in comparison to what happened to Dane Jackson earlier in that same game um, but Hyde's done for the year so it's Jaquan Johnson time and fortunately I've liked what I've seen out of Jaquan Johnson to be honest uh, he hasn't played a ton but He's a good athlete. He's been developing as part of the secondary for a while. I really like what I saw from him out of the preseason, or like what I saw out of him during the preseason, I should say. And even if it came down to Saran Neal having to step up and play some safety as well, or Cam Lewis, there is depth there. And you still got Christian Benford. Dane Jackson's not going to play, so it's going to be rookies with Benford and Elam uh, and Taron Johnson in the slot. And... You know, maybe we'll see DeMar Hamlin. Maybe we'll see Cam Lewis. Uh, Ed Oliver's out. Jordan Phillips is out for the Bills. So right in the middle of their defense, they're a little thin. Tim Settle's questionable. Daquan Jones is good to go. So we're going to see Brandon Bryant. We're probably going to see some more Shaq Lawson. Um, Mitch Morse is questionable with the injury. Gabe's questionable. Knox is questionable. Ike Bodger is still out. So this is a very, very injured Bills team going into week three here and if you look at the Dolphins I mean Cedric Wilson's questionable Teron Amstead's questionable uh Raekwon Davis questionable Xavier Howard's questionable but Byron Jones is out uh so both of these teams dealing with a little bit of injury here the Bills definitely got the the worst of it and you know, in, in watching the chatter between these two fan bases on Twitter over the last couple of days, it's been interesting because you've got very aggressive Miami fans who have been, you know, throttled by the Bills on numerous occasions over the last three seasons. You know, they finally see some light 
and they see the opportunity where they might actually pull a victory out here. Um, and the odds are much more in their favor than they were, say, with this on the schedule before the Ravens game, before the outcomes of week two. It really looked like the Bills would probably throttle them. But seeing everybody that is still hurt for the Bills, I don't think it's a cakewalk at all. Um, I know a lot of Bills fans are just like, whatever, the train keeps rolling. No hiccups. Nothing's going to change. But realistically, you've got two rookies playing against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. You've got a newcomer stepping into the safety position next to Jordan Poyer. Um, fortunately, Poyer is a good leader, and I think he's still going to be the safety valve on the back of that defense. So, I, like, I don't think the Bills' defense uh, is going to be inept or suddenly incapable because of the injuries, but to think that these injuries don't affect them is foolish. It's just simply foolish. When you don't respect your opponent, you don't respect yourself, and what I've seen from a lot of fans is just that like oh it doesn't matter like Hyde's injury doesn't matter and I don't know if they're trying to like talk themselves into it or what but they don't seem to think that having two rookie corners out there against a guy like Tyree Kill that the Bills have never been able to stop uh, even when their defense is at 100% when they have the number one defense in the league Tyree Kill roasted this defense so as much as I love the Bills I'm aware of the challenge that's in front of them and missing those kind of pieces in the middle is going to affect the Bills' ability to put pressure on Tua. So I think it's really going to come down to whoever's playing nickel or if they're going to play um, in 4-3. There's a lot of looks that the Dolphins give off of the handoff, and the Dolphins aren't really running the ball that well, right? They're only rushing for 75 yards a game. So the Bills have to just not respect the run game. And if the Dolphins want to run, all right, they can go ahead and run the ball and then put pressure on Tua in passing situations. But... If the Bills bite on the run fakes too much, that's where the Dolphins really exploit some zones, and that's where some of these uh, big chunk plays have come from against the Ravens and against the Patriots. So I think the Bills have a good amount of tape to watch on those plays, and they have really good linebackers in Milano and Edmonds, and they have a great nickelback in Teron Johnson. So Taron Johnson, they just have to stay disciplined and they definitely have to stay disciplined uh on the edges as well so you got guys like epinesa and rousseau that are going to have to not necessarily just chomp on that rpo fake because if they bite inside that's where the linebacker is also having their eyes in the backfield and they're looking at okay and now i'm responsible for if the running back or excuse me if the quarterback is going to break the pocket so it's just going to be about discipline. It's going to be about schemes. And realistically, the Bills are just going to have to out-offense them. And that's something that the Bills are totally capable of doing. Um, you know, they're con- they're been in complete control of both games. They're averaging 36 points a game, only giving up eight. So it's a big difference between the defenses that the Dolphins have played so far and the defense that they're about to play. But this defense is not 100%. And... It is foolish to think that injuries don't matter. I really like Jaquan Johnson. He's a very athletic young player. He's been in the system for, I think, four years now. So it's not like he's incapable. I've seen Saran Neal have really good minutes as well, to use a basketball term. But I think it will matter 
I don't think the Bills just go in there and blow them out by double digits easily. Can they win the game by double digits? Yeah, of course they can. But I think seeing the line come down to five makes sense. Um, Bills are still minus 220, over under a 53. I think it probably ends up being a high-scoring game. And I think realistically, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle probably do have some big gains in this game. Uh, you just, you're going to have to protect the middle of the field you're going to have to force Tua to throw that ball to the sidelines and really be accurate. Because over the middle of the field with these kind of like streaky, fast players and he's coming off that RPO look, it's really designed to just freeze one defender and find the hole in the zone and then zip that ball in there and get these guys the ball moving uh, on the run. So I think the Bills at least know what to look out for. And they just can't get overzealous on the run game like... That's all I can say. If the Dolphins want to run the ball, let them run the ball. I mean, don't let them, but, you know, don't worry about them running the ball. It's not the, the biggest thing on the, the list of uh, things you need to watch out for here. So I will take the Bills. I like that the spread came down to five because it makes it uh, a little bit easier to take the Bills there. And 53, I mean, the, the Dolphins just gave up how much to the Ravens? They gave up 42 to the Ravens? No, they gave up 38 to the Ravens. Yeah, that's, I mean, the Bills' offense is, they don't have Lamar Jackson. Like, they don't have his ability to break the pocket and take off for 60-yard touchdown run. But, you know, Allen can just keep the chains moving with first downs. Uh, they have a better receiving core than Baltimore. So I, I'll take the over. Definitely take the over here because the Bills could put up 40 by themselves in this game. It's really going to be about whether or not the Dolphins' defense uh, is any match because they were giving up 265 passing yards a game and 116 on the ground. Those are not good numbers when you take on this Bills team. So I do like the Bills to win. I'm confident that they can still win this game. But I also just am realistic that the injuries on defense are going to matter somewhat. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to change the outcome of the game, but it's going to make the game a lot more interesting. Rids picks. Rids is being a traitor and taking the Dolphins. So moving on, we got the Lions at the Vikings. And what I'm going to look at here is common opponents. I've been trying to, you know, look at quality of competition, but the Vikings being favored by six points here at home, I think is absolutely ridiculous. Um, these teams both played the Eagles and the Lions. Yeah, they were down in the fourth quarter, but they showed heart and they showed fight and they got back in it. Um, the Vikings, not so much. They, they had nothing to offer, really. I mean, they moved the ball okay, but Kirk Cousins threw three picks, didn't look good at all. And what I saw from the Lions in their last outing was that they have a pretty good defensive front. Like, they got a lot of pressure on Carson Wentz early in that game. And yes, they do end up giving up a lot of points in that game, but they were way, way ahead in that game. I think it was 22-0 at half. So that key injury to look out for is, uh, excuse me, Aiden Hutchinson. He's questionable. Swift is questionable, probably plays. Hawkinson probably also. And then you got uh, Harrison Smith, so your most veteran uh, safety is out. Uh, Andrew Booth, so they lose some depth at corner for the Vikings. And Eric Kendricks, questionable. BC Johnson, wide receiver, went to injured reserve. I mean, they still have Jefferson. They still have Thielen. They still have uh, Irv Smith, who's starting to come into his own. They still have Dalvin Cook. There's a lot of reasons to think that the Vikings... Uh, would be favored here but I think if you start to like look into the real nitty-gritty of the details you know this is a, a Lions team that only gave up 88 ground yards 
to Washington on 21 carries. And you're getting Dalvin Cook coming off a game where he didn't really do anything either against Philadelphia. This is a Lions team that, you know, they didn't throw for a ton of yardage against Washington, but they were up there in complete control. They didn't need to. So they just kind of coasted in the second half and scored late when they needed to. That's not something you really want to do against Minnesota. But, I mean, I really easily like Detroit to cover here. Uh, based on what I've seen from both of them, probably an over of 52 and a half makes sense. And I don't know. I just like what I've seen from Detroit more than I liked what I've seen from the Vikings at this point. Because the Vikings got that one win against Green Bay that was clearly like a not ready to go Green Bay team. And at least in the Lions game against Philly, you know, I, I have to look at that game because the Lions at least put up a fight there. They scored on a tough Philadelphia defense. Vikings did not score. They scored a touchdown, and that was it. You know, they were in the red zone a lot, and Kirk Cousins kept just throwing interceptions. So, my gut says that Kirk Cousins is probably better than Jared Goff, but I don't know. And if you look at how, I mean, there's, again, it's only a two-game sample size, but Minnesota's given up 15 a game and only scoring 15 a game. Like, they're actually giving up 15 and a half a game, so they're not even averaging more points than they give up, where at least the Lions, like, yeah, they're giving up 32 a game, but they're scoring 35 a game. So I don't think there's any question that the Lions score. And when you look at yards given up per game, it's pretty much equal. So I'm going to look at the team that's got the better offense, at least the better offensive track record so far. And if the defenses are the same, then I'll take the team with the better offense. And the Lions, at least, are in a position where they play with nothing to lose. There's no pressure on them. The Vikings being six-point favorites at home, you know, there's pressure on them to win. There's pressure on them to succeed, especially after they beat Green Bay in week one. So I just think it's a bad recipe to favor them by six. Uh, I'm probably taking the Lions in that game to win outright, but I think them to cover, totally doable in that game, especially if uh, Hutchinson plays. So if, if Swift doesn't play, it'll be interesting. Like if he is just ineffective because of his injury i mean he's questionable going into last week too and still came out and balled out so you know they go as swift goes if they're if they're running the ball effectively it makes everything easier for uh, both sides of that equation rids picks rids is rolling the dice on the vikings and next we get baltimore where is this ravens at the patriots um doo -doo 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 -doo. patriots two and a half point dogs yeah I think, I think the Ravens win this game. Uh, it's one of those games where, again, you're looking back at how they blew this lead last week and they just took their foot off the gas and Miami's got a much more dynamic offense than New England. Both of these teams have lost to Miami, but look how it happened. You know, the Ravens were smashing them. New England was never in that game, really. So, yeah, I just don't, I don't like New England this season. I don't think they're really all that good. They barely beat the Steelers and the Steelers have no offense. It's going to come down to who's who's actually injured, who's not injured in this game, uh, where the depth is for the Ravens in terms of their secondary because Marcus Peters is questionable, Humphrey's questionable, Brandon Stevens questionable, Demarion Williams questionable. So you got four corners that are all in the questionable phase. You got David Ajabo out, uh, Tyus Bowser's out, a bunch of defenders on injured reserve as well, including Kyle Fuller. But their offense, like Ronnie Staley's out, but that's about it. And Dobbins still questionable, but, you know, Lamar Jackson is just such a dynamic player that he's going to be the best player on the field in that game. 
and I haven't seen enough from New England's offense to think that they can hang. You never know, but I think the Ravens are going to look at that game last week and get back to the get back to the drawing board and figure out how to right the ship after that kind of mistake. So we're just going to chalk that up to a Ravens win over under 44. Um, go over on that game. The Ravens defense isn't that good. So New England probably scores, but the Ravens offenses should put up more than 24, I would say. That's still, it's a tough over under to get to, but I'll take the Ravens by two and a half in that game and go over, I think. Yeah, we'll go over. Rids picks. Rids says the Pats. Bengals at the Jets in the next one. Interesting game because the Bengals have struggled. They're 0-2. The Jets pulled off a miracle last week. But, but, I would say it's probably foolish to bet on the Jets at this point. You know, they're six-point underdogs at home. They're giving up 27 points a game. They're allowing more yardage than the Bengals. So them pulling off a miracle where they were down 13 in the final two minutes against Cleveland, it's great for them. You know, I know Jets fans, and, you know, they've been with that team through some bad times, and I'm happy for them to get that win. Uh, But I still think that both of the games for the Bengals were close. And if they're facing a defense that is not... Pittsburgh with TJ Watt. It's not Dallas with Micah Parsons. I think the Jets are not going to be as successful at dominating Joe Burrow in the way that the last couple of teams have. And I, the, you know, the secret's out for the Bengals. Like, so they exa- they know what's going to be coming their way. Plus, you got Corey Davis is questionable now. Uh, CJ Uzama questionable as well. Jordan Whitehead's questionable. Really, it's only Jermaine Pratt who. Really, I haven't seen him play much for the Bengals in the last couple years. I saw his name out a lot last year uh, and drew samples out. So can the Jets just keep pace? I think the Bengals finally get on track in this game. I see why they're favored by six and a half. And even if Joe Burrow gets sacked, say, half as much, so only three times, you know, that's a lot more productivity out of the Bengals offense. So Bengals by six and a half. Over 45? Eh. I mean, the Jets, yeah, they put up 31 last week. I don't know. Bengals offense has not scored, but they played some tough defenses. Meh. Let's, let's just say, let's, let's be fun and take the over in that game and hope that it becomes a shootout. The Jets did beat them with Mike White, I think, last year, so... It's not that the Jets can't beat the Bengals, but Bengals need this win much more than the Jets do. So I figured that they find a way to at least get that done in the crunch. Rids picks. She took them last week, and she's going with them this week again. She's going with the Jets. Then you got the Eagles, Commanders. This is a game where the Eagles are favored by 6.5 on the road in Washington. And again, this is a game where I look at common opponents and this is a Washington team that got beat and really their offense got completely punked in the first half against Detroit you know down 22-0 they're hitting Carson Wentz I think they safetyed him in the first half in that game as well you know Detroit lost to 
Philly, but they gave them a game. They stayed competitive. They didn't quit. So, yeah, I don't think there's any way I can not pick the Eagles here. It is a division game. Do they win by seven? Maybe, you know. They seem to be the healthier team as well. Their defense looked really good against Minnesota. So, can they pose the same kind of problems? I know Carson Wentz wants to have his revenge game here, but realistically, you know, the Eagles moved on for a reason. They're definitely not dealing with injuries on the same level as Washington. Washington is not like super banged up amongst their starters, but Chase Young is yet to play and their defense just hasn't looked good. So I think Philly by a touchdown is probably pretty safe there. You never know. Maybe it isn't, but whatever. I'm going with the Eagles. I'll take also... I'll take the over because I think the Eagles score a lot. And what I've seen from Washington is that they give up points. And I don't think they've played an offense that's as dynamic as the Eagles yet. So over 47 and a half. Washington maybe scores 14. The Eagles put up 30-something. But they can score more than that. I mean, the Commanders just gave up 36 to the Lions. And the Lions gave up 38 to the Eagles. So Rids picks. Rids says Commanders. I don't know. I'm just, fo I'm just following the math. I know there's not a big sample size here, but we're moving on. We got New Orleans on the road at Carolina. I'm not sure where the upset picks are coming from in this game. It's basically a split. I mean, ESPN has it as Carolina favored somehow. I'm not really sure, again, where that's coming from. But after what I've seen from the Panthers is they're not very good. Baker Mayfield has not played well. He's 30 of 56 or 380 yards and two touchdowns and a pick in two games. So he's what? He's averaging 160, 190 yards a game passing, two touchdowns and an interception. I mean, Jameis Winston's not exactly killing it either. He's got three touchdowns and three picks, but I like the weaponry much better on the New Orleans side. I like their defense much better because even though they did lose, I mean, they were up 3-0, I think, at halftime against the Bucks. So... You know, if you're going to be able to stifle Tom Brady like that, I wouldn't worry about Baker Mayfield so much. I know the Panthers need a win, but it just what I've seen from the Panthers is that everything's moving in the wrong direction for this franchise. And it's going to come down to whether or not the Saints are healthy enough to actually win this game. Because Winston's questionable. I know he's got some back issues, broken shit in his back. Uh, Paulson Adebo's out uh, questionable at corner. Marcus May's questionable at safety. Ryan Ramchick is questionable at right tackle. Kamara is questionable. So it's going to have to be Winston leading the charge. But if I had to if I had to put money on Jameis Winston or Baker Mayfield in this situation, I'm going with Jameis in the defense. So that's a two-and-a-half-point game for the Saints to cover on the road. I'll take that. I'll take that. The weather looks nice. You know, Ingram knows that offense, so he can still be effective. Taysom Hill is also questionable, but he gives you some more options to work with as an offense. Uh, I just I can't pick against the Saints in this game. Even if they lose, it's like, hey, congrats to the Panthers. Over under 41. They probably both give up some points here. I'll say... I'll say over. Because the Panthers have scored a little bit in their games, and the Saints have scored in their games, except for the last one. But they're going up against a great defense there, so I think they take out some of their frustrations here on the Panthers. Pan Panthers are going to try to catch them sleeping and uh, pick up a W there, but nah. 
Saints. Reds picks. She loves the home team. She's taking the Panthers in the upsets. All right, Jaguars at the Chargers. This is the weird one with, you know, Justin Herbert and his broken rib cartilage coming into this game. They're they're really, really beat up, to be honest. Uh, you know, I was talking about the Bills injuries earlier, but here you've got Corey Lindsley at center, who's doubtful. That's not good. That's the center of your O-line. You know, he's the guy who's responsible for communicating. That's not good. Keenan Allen dealing with a hamstring injury, not good. Justin Herbert takes one wrong hit, not good. JC Jackson, also doubtful. Like, he just made his debut and now he's out. So I think the defensive edge still goes to the Chargers here, but their offense is in shambles. Uh, And if Herbert takes a hit and doesn't like it or if he's uncomfortable out there, even in the slightest, um and he gets pulled from the game i think it swings heavily in favor of the jags and the jags are playing with house money in this one nobody expects them to win i don't i don't see i don't see a ton of roads to victory for them if herbert plays and is effective but you know if, if he's hurting or if he gets hit and comes out of the game at all I mean, this is a really good spot to to sneak money onto Jacksonville because there's so many variables that could land them in a favorable, excuse me, position here. Over under 42 and a half. Jags defense has played well. Both these teams score. I'll take the over. I don't even know who the Chargers backup quarterback is. Chase Daniel? Is he going to come in and win the game? Is he going to lead them to 20-plus points in a game where they need it? I don't know. But the Jags have played well. Um, excuse me. They scored 22 in a game that they were winning and ended up losing on the road in Washington. And they blanked the Colts 24-0, so they can put up points. And the Chargers can put up points, too. So <clears throat> I'm going to take I'm gonna take the Jags. You know what? The Chargers probably beat them, especially if Herbert's healthy. But... I like the Jags to pull a crazy upset here just with all of the different kind of injuries that are going on to the Chargers. And, you know, they they know that Herbert's hurt too, so they're going to chase him down. They're going to put some pressure on him, and they're going to make sure that he feels every bit of uh, this game. And, like, I don't think they're going to try and hurt him, but they're going to hit him. They're going to probably... I wouldn't be surprised to see a a late hit, you know, just to let him feel it. But I'm going to take the Jags in a weird upset in this one. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Chargers. And then we got, who's next? Who's next? Rams at the cards. The Rams finally got a W, but man, Jalen Ramsey doesn't come up with a miracle interception. They probably lose that game too. Cardinals, ooh, it's three and a half point underdogs. Interesting, interesting. David Long's out. Kobe Durant's out. Brian Allen's out for the Rams. Van Jefferson went to injured reserve. Things ain't looking up for the Rams, I'll say that much. And I don't like the way that they gave up all those points in the fourth quarter. They were in complete control. They took their foot off the gas, though, and we saw that happen in both games. Arizona ended up winning that way, and the Rams ended up barely hanging on to win. But Brian Allen's out. David Long's out at the other corner position. Um, you still have Aaron Donald. You still got Bobby Wagner. You still got Jalen Ramsey in the middle. And they definitely 
have Arizona's number when you look at the last time these teams met. Whew. This is a tough one. It is tough. I think Arizona got a little bit lucky. I mean, they showed a lot of heart. They stayed in the game. But they got lucky on a number of fronts, including just bad play calling and bad coaching from the Raiders. Like, the Raiders are in field goal range, and they're fucking throwing the ball for some reason in overtime. It's like, as much as Arizona fought to force that game into overtime, and, like, congratulations to them for doing that, that was a winnable game for the Raiders still, despite all of that. And... You know, Hunter Henry, fum- uh, sorry, Hunter Renfro fumbles. I still got COVID brain. Hunter Renfro fumbles, and two plays later, they go right back to him. He gets hit, and he fumbles again. So that was the play that ended up being the uh, fumble return touchdown for the game winner in overtime. But they're at the 39. You know, that's a 56-ish, 55-yard field goal for Daniel Carlson, who's got plenty of leg, who's one of, if not the most accurate kicker from distance in the league besides Justin Tucker. So, you know, just run the ball a couple times and take your chances. You know, don't don't be trying to win the game with a touchdown when you don't have to. Uh, so I, I really didn't understand the Raiders' decision-making in that game. So I think they probably could have won. Cardinals probably should be 0-2 despite the good effort. But them fighting hard late in the game and seeing what the Rams... Uh, did how they choked and seeing that their starting center is out like those are a lot of things adding up i know james connor's questionable as well i know rondale moore is out so it's tough to say that necessarily the cardinals are more healthy but it's really hollywood brown aj green zach Ertz, and kyler murray but I just didn't like what I saw last time from this Arizona team against the Rams. I know they've probably been thinking about that too all offseason. And there's going to be opportunity for them here, but can Daryl Williams and Eno Benjamin be as effective as Connor for them? I know J.J. Watt's back and he's playing, but this offense isn't what it was. Or excuse me, this defense is not what it was without Chandler Jones. So the Rams are starting to get their shit together. They scored 30 something last week I think the Rams probably have enough to get it done I could see the Cardinals covering that three and a half though I could see this being a three-point game and I'll take the over at 48 and a half Ritz picks Ritz is taking the Cardinals but moving on trying to hurry up trying to get all this done so we're gonna we're gonna power through here towards the end this is the Falcons at the Seahawks I don't know why the Seahawks are favored I mean, I've enjoyed watching the Seahawks for many years. Uh, You know, Marshawn Lynch's heyday was with this team. So I've happily watched the Seahawks. And I see that ESPN has Atlanta actually favored here. But the Seahawks are one-point favorites at home, minus 115. But the Falcons are also minus 105. So obviously the odds makers are not thinking that this is a a one-sided game at all. But the Seahawks offense stinks. I'm just going to be, you know, perfectly honest about that. I think they... I think they burned all of their pages in the playbook in order to beat Russell Wilson in the first game. And what's starting to show is that they don't have a lot beyond that. And they haven't been able to successfully really run the ball at this point. They're giving up 146 yards on the ground and they're giving up 262 through the air. So Atlanta actually has the defensive advantage here. They have the offensive advantage too. So 
the the one thing against Atlanta is they've given up a lot of points. They're averaging 29 points given up, but they're more than doubling Seattle in terms of scoring. So it's it's a weird one, but as much as you know, my history of picking the Falcons always backfires, and it very well may backfire in this game. I think the Falcons have more ability to use their weaponry than the Seahawks do right now. So I'm going with Atlanta, minus one. Rids picks. She's a loyalist and she's sticking with the Hawks. Over under a 42, I'll say under. Just because the Seahawks, it's been so weird. They don't score. They're averaging 12 points a game. They uh, scored seven against San Francisco, and I think it came on a blocked field goal. So they haven't scored any offensive points since the first half against Denver. That's six quarters of football where they haven't had an offensive point. That's terrible. And so now you're starting to see uh, the difference between what a Russell Wilson team is and what a Pete Carroll led well, no disrespect to Geno Smith, but this is Pete Carroll's offense. Run the ball, try to play defense, but this defense isn't what it was. The offense is not what it was, and they're just having trouble getting the ball into positions where their playmakers can make account for them, and they're not able to really run the ball right now, so that's going to kill them. They're only averaging 56 rush yards a game, and this offense is predicated off of that. They can't run play action if they can't run, so I have to take the Falcons here. Sorry, Hawks. Uh, Packers plus 100 on the road against a very, very beat-up Buccaneers team. If there was ever a game where the Packers were going to find a way to win here, uh, this would probably be it. You know, both of these quarterbacks are doing about the same right here. You know, Rodgers is 41 of 59 for 429, two touchdowns and a pick. Brady's 36 of 61 for 402 with two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, in terms of rushing yards, Fournette's got a lot more carries, but Aaron Jones has been more successful. Uh, Mike Evans is suspended for this game. Rashad Perriman's questionable. Fournette's questionable. Akeem Hicks is out. Kate Otten is doubtful. Donovan Smith, the left tackle, is doubtful as well. Sammy Watkins went to injured reserve, so the number one receiver for uh, Green Bay is out as well. Mercedes Lewis questionable. Cobb questionable. Watson questionable. Bakhtiari questionable. This is This is a weird game. Both of these teams are just so beat up right now. Um, and I, I don't know who that favors. I would say it favors the team with the better defense. And, you know, Akeem Hicks is out, but Vita Vea is a good nose tackle. They're going to have to find a way to get pressure. I don't know that they have as much pressure. They'll probably move, you know, Shaq Barrett, take him out of the linebacker type of role and put just make, you know, he's going to be a DN in this game, which he really is anyway. But you're probably going to see a lot of nickel here as well with Jamel Dean, Murphy Bunting, Davis, and then Barrett move down to that uh, defensive end position. But yeah, the Mike Evans suspension, Chris Godwin being out, Russell Gage questionable, Perriman questionable, Julio Jones questionable, Donovan Smith doubtful. So they added Cole Beasley to this offense. And you know what? Cole Beasley is a fantastic fit for a Tom Brady offense. I mean, he's kind of he hasn't needed the Edelman role but you've seen the difference in the way that the offense has functioned so far early in this season and it hasn't been great so I think if Beasley can pick up the offense quickly he might actually stick around on this team uh, beyond the the short period that they had in mind initially just because his route running is excellent his hands are excellent he knows how to find the hole in the zone and when Tom needs a guy that's gonna like get open in situations 
you know, Beast is that guy. So, I, I don't know. This is such an ugly game. The Packers need to strike while the iron's hot. You know, they're only one-point underdogs, and they don't have a lot of success going down into Tampa. I'm still going to pick Tampa here just because their defense has played so much better at this point than the Packers. And the Packers are giving up 153 yards per game on the ground. So it's like their passing defense has been solid because, you know, their secondary is decent. But, uh, yeah, 153 on the ground, like, just pound the rock. Even if Fournette is not 100% healthy here, just Keyshawn Vaughn, Rashad White, whoever's there, you got to find a way to run that ball. And the Bucks are not afraid to win games however they can win games while they're beat up. So they're going to do what they need to do. And this defense has a history of hunting down and beating up Aaron Rodgers. So I think they probably continue to do that. Uh, I, I will take the Bucks here. And I'm going to take the under at 42 just because this is a clunky, ugly type of game. I don't trust points being scored. It's an important game for both teams too. So this is potentially the NFC winner here or at least one half of the NFC title game I would think so I'm still going with the Bucks. I'm still taking the under 42 but you know if you think the Bucks are going to win they're one point favorite so that's basically just straight money on them Rids picks Rids says Bucks too and uh, we'll move on the next game is Sunday night game 49ers on the road at the Broncos they have a Niners have a weird history of losing to Russell Wilson. I believe they lost him twice last year, despite going to the NFC title game. And he's just always a problem for them. And this is a very different kind of Russell Wilson team. Russell Wilson team. And the Broncos are one and a half point underdogs at home. Over under of 44. Because neither of these teams really score and neither of these teams really give up a lot of points either. So probably smart money to take the under. The Broncos offense is definitely doing better in terms of yardage. And their defense hasn't been bad either. But they did play a Seahawks team that hasn't scored in six quarters in week one. And they played a Houston team that really isn't, you know, knocking down any walls with the power of their offense either. So in terms of defensive ability... You got the Niners, who just also didn't let that Seahawks team score. So in terms of common opponents, I would have to take the Niners here because they, you know, did what they were supposed to do against the Seahawks, and they didn't let them score an offensive touchdown. So that being said, I think despite some of the injury situations with the 49ers, you got Jimmy G there. This... Denver team is still very clearly learning who they're supposed to be and who they want to be. Um, Tyrion Davis-Price is out, but you know he probably wasn't going to play that much anyway. Uh, Eric Armstead is questionable, but not a huge blow. Still no Jason Verrett, still no Jimmy Ward. But most of the guys are in place on this defense. I've got to think that the 49ers defense is going to be the difference maker here. I will take the 49ers and we'll go under 44 44 seems kind of high for two teams that combining their averages don't even break 30 so yeah and looking at denver like sertan's questionable jules questionable dramont jones questionable purcell is questionable 
think they got two offensive linemen questionable, two receivers questionable, three receivers questionable, actually, with Tyree Cleveland, Jerry Judy, KJ Handler. Yeah, I, as much as it would be interesting to see Denver win that game and Russell Wilson continue his weird streak of beating the 49ers, well, it is possible. I have to go with the 49ers. Rids picks. She still loves Russell Wilson. Rids is going with the Broncos. And that brings us to the final game of the week, which is the Dallas Cowboys rejuvenated with Cooper Rush heading to New York to take on the Giants on Monday Night Football. This is an over-under line of 39. Giants one-point favorites at home. Well, I think that says a lot. They're 2-0, and and the Cowboys don't have Dak, and... This is still a game where the Giants are only favored by a point. And both teams are beat up once again here. It's just kind of, we're two weeks into football season and we're already seeing all of the different kind of injuries kind of flood in here. And, you know, Dallas, Michael Gallup is questionable, may play. Dalton Schultz may play. Uh, but Connor McGovern being out on the offensive line is not great. Uh, Jaron Curse is out on defense. Parsons is questionable. That's a big one. And for the Giants... Wandale Robinson still out, Kadarius Tony doubtful, so it's going to be Sterling Shepard. I don't know what's going on with Kenny Galladay, but he's just buried. They're just, I don't know. They don't like him. They're waiting to trade him, whatever's going to happen there. Uh, but Leonard Williams, uh, doubtful. Kayvon Thibodeau, questionable. Aaron Robinson is out. And Aziz Ojalari is questionable as well. This is going to sound crazy, but I do think this is a game that Dallas can win because Cooper Rush while he's not like the best quarterback in the world is a very calm and poised guy in the pocket so the thing that it comes down to for me is going to be the run game both of these teams in terms of yards allowed basically spot on Dallas gives up 326 a game yardage wise the Giants give up 325 passing yards exactly the same at 205 and a half and the rushing yards are basically the same with Dallas giving up one more yard per game at 120 and a half. So Dallas is gonna need to find a way to get Zeke rolling because they're only averaging 89 rushing yards a game and with Connor McGovern out, that's probably not gonna get better. But this is a situation where they're playing a team that gives up 120 on the ground every week or at least through the first two weeks. So it's a, it's a game where they can hit back and maybe finally get their run game going and then they're averaging more passing yards a game which is a little surprising considering the injury to Prescott and the lack of you know receiver profile there right now um and they're both giving up 18 a game it's just Dallas you know they didn't score because they played a really good defense in week one but that win over the Bengals was a good one they scored 20 it wasn't like the knockdown drag out game it could have been if both teams were at full strength but they, they got it done, and I think in terms of competition, Tampa and Cincy is much better test of their medal than Tennessee and Carolina for the Giants. So I'm happy the Giants are 2-0 and and Dable's got them rolling and everything, but I think Dallas uh, has faced stiffer competition so far, and their defense should be able to create enough problems to give them a chance. And as long as Cooper Rush doesn't lose the game for them, I think there is a fairly good chance that Dallas wins. They're only one-point underdogs. The over-under of 39 in this game, rivalry game. Both of these teams giving up 18 a game. That gets you to 36, so an over-under of 39. 
it's going to be a defensive game for sure, just because of the nature of this. And I think I will probably go with the over. Because it's a Monday night game. It's a high-profile game. As much as these teams probably want to duke it out defensively and running the ball, at some point, points will be scored. And 39 is kind of low. I don't know. That's tough. You know, if you combine their offensive averages, they're only 31, and their points allowed per game is 18. Yeah, you know what? You got to go under there. It's a game where it's a trap. You know, they're probably going to go over in this one. Like, I felt the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game, it being the over under at 38, you know, I felt that it was just going to get over that. And they were over it before the fumble, for the record. So that didn't really matter. But, or were they? It was 23. So, yeah, they were at 40 already. So I think this is a similar game where... That's kind of a low bar, but if it is as defensive and as much of a struggle as it seems, then 39 definitely makes sense. Rids picks. Rids is taking the G-Men. That brings us to the end. Thank you for listening. Didn't have a great week last week at 9-7, and seven, but considering the kind of collapses that were happening, I was glad to walk out of it. I started this week 1-0. Ridley went 12-4 and four last week, so impressive from her. Kristen, I think, was 7-9. and nine. 8 and 8 maybe uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me but I should anyway if you stuck with me for this show if you're missing Kristen I appreciate you sticking it out and being a good sport you got plenty of places where you can listen to football stuff I'm just one small operation here so thank you so much for your time please be well stay safe and of course go Bills Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way, too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and you can contact me at info at or at Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills. Bills.